this is a serious question. People are interested in this. Um, and so then I did it, and I did, like I said, six years. Um, and I was even more convinced by the end of it that there was no Jesus. Like, I tried, I really tried to make the best case for historicity, and just it just falls apart in every angle and turn. Hey guys, this is Jordan. With me, as always, is my boy Jared. Uh, today, we are going to be taking a turn away from the political and back into the religious. We're going to be talking about uh, Jesus mythicism, what it is, uh, where it comes from, what the proponents are, and what they say. Uh, before we talk about that, though, today's episode is brought to you by Ad Hoc Hypotheses. Uh, so, Jared, what's an ad hoc hypothesis? So, an ad hoc hypothesis is something that you're going to come up with after the fact to explain evidence. So, a good example of this would be if you were watching your neighbor come home from work every day at a certain time, and then one day they don't come home from work at that time, you could just assume maybe they're working late, or you could assume maybe they got stuck in traffic. Uh, you could also assume that they got abducted by a Colombian drug cartel and were taken to the moon to be probed by aliens. Um, yeah. One of those models is slightly more ad hoc yeah. than the other. Yeah. So. Uh, or if, um, you know, someone, uh, you said, well, such and such took the cookies from the cookie jar and we check such and such and they don't have any crumbs. Well, they must have just taken a bath while their hands are dry. Well, they must have just right. dried it's, it off. Yeah, the idea of ad hoc is like you're coming up with answers for questions that you didn't perceive and they, like you just keep adding on to the fact that it didn't fit your original model or your original hypothesis. Right. Um, and this is distinct from, okay, my model is wrong. Let me reexamine the evidence and adjust based on the evidence. Right. That's, that's different. Yeah, you're um, coming up with answers without evidence to try to explain something away. And this is going to feature prominently later. Hmm. So why are we talking about Jesus' uh, mythicism? It's mainly because uh, it's an idea, and we're going to go into what exactly it is in a minute, uh, but it's it's an idea that's taken hold in the atheist community at large. It's very popular there. In fact, if you go on to r slash uh, mythicism with that den of uh, villainy, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it's the only authorized viewpoint really. Yeah. Um, and that is in stark contrast to the rest of the world. Um, I'm sure most of our listeners, it, it wouldn't even occur to you to think that Jesus didn't exist because it's just kind of one of those things that everybody knows. Right. So, and in the scholarly community at large, it's certainly not something that's, um, that, that's, what's the word? It's not a popular opinion. Yeah, it's fringe yeah. for sure. Um, so we wanted to tackle an issue that was popular in our own community, the community of atheists and skeptics, to show that you know, no, no viewpoint should be immune to scrutiny. Mm -hmm. um, and simply the fact that you're an atheist doesn't make you any more rational about other things. So or, or a skeptic, too. You could be a skeptic or, right. and not an atheist. And, yeah. Right. You're right, yeah. So – uh, simply having a properly skeptical viewpoint about one thing does not guarantee that you'll have it about all things. Right. And in this one, so we're going to, we've examined the Jesus topic before on multiple occasions. And so 
um, we're going to examine it again, but from the other side. So, Right. So what is mythicism? Well, mythicism is the idea that Jesus was never a historical figure, but started off as a myth, similar to, you know, um, King Arthur or similar to Hercules. Like they were just stories and then later they were historicized. So they had historical type stories written to try to place them here on earth, but they were never here. They were actually all just myth. One example of this happening would be uh, Romulus, the founder of Rome, who almost certainly never existed, but there were stories written about him later and they placed him in history at the foundation of Rome. Yeah. And so he was revered as if he was a real physical person, but um, he never was. And I think it's important to say that a lot of times that these historicized figures aren't done in a way to try to dupe people into making them think that they were real or something like that, but just that they were giving them a historical context to help tell the story. And later on, as the further removed you are from that, the idea is that they become history, like um, they become real figures. And that's kind of what a mythicist would say as far as like a Jesus figure. So there are a lot of different mythicists. Most of them are laymen. Um, there are a couple that are actual scholars, yeah. um, one of them being Richard Carrier, uh, another one being Robert Price, and they have different models. Even uh, Price has several different models of his own. Mm. Um, so some of them think that he was kind of more like Hercules. Some of them think that it wasn't that Christians thought he wasn't real. They simply thought he wasn't physical. So it would be like making up stories about the Archangel Gabriel. You don't think if you you might believe the gate that Gabriel is real, but you don't believe he's like a physical person you could go see. Right. Or or some believe that he was a spiritual body or a spiritual being, and then they told stories about him or wrote down stories about him on earth. So like they were trying to represent what happened in the heavenly realm here on earth. Right. Um, so we're not going to go super deep in the weeds on any one particular model. Um, this isn't intended to be a refutation of Richard Carrier's book on the historicity of Jesus, because that's like a 600-page uh, behemoth. Yeah. And we will we will reference Carrier quite a bit, actually, throughout this podcast. And the reason being is that Carrier probably made mythicism more popular than anybody in the history of mythicists. Um, yeah. He got a lot. If of, you talk to any Jesus mythicist, there's a good chance they were convinced by Richard. Yeah. Carrier. And before that, you would have had figures like David Fitzgerald or Bob Price that we've already mentioned. But Carrier definitely brought the idea to the mainstream, especially well, in this new age atheism, as you would call it. Um, yeah. The mainstream of atheism. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Carrier's idea is that. Uh, the early Christians were a Jewish mystery cult, which was a type of religion that had layers of secrecy. You'd have a story about some deity, and there'd be a deeper, more spiritual truth that was hidden from the outside world. And they'd have more 
common palatable stories that they would tell to the outside world and the novitiates. And as you became inducted into the mysteries, you'd learn more and more about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they would tell stories about Jesus um, dying on the cross, being crucified by Pontius Pilate and all those sort of things. But in reality, what they meant was he was actually crucified in the firmament in, in, in the heavens. Yeah. Um, and so he was another one of the dying and rising gods, which were gaining popularity at the time. And this is all within the, the near Eastern, you know, region of Asia, also the Northern part of Africa, you know, there was a, a, uh, cult for Osiris in Egypt. Um, and Osiris was a god that died and came back to life as sort of a saving uh, act. It obviously we're not saying that the and Carrier doesn't say either that the Christian cult was the same was another kind of Osiris cult. No one says that they were. Just, he says that they're kind of in the same genre. Right, and just to show that the similarities between these mystery cults. Yeah, and the other thing too is. Even within Christianity, you have this idea of a mystery cult with like the Gnostics and stuff where they said that like this hidden knowledge within the text. And so you would have the plain reading and Origen, who's one of the early church fathers, kind of took this line of thinking like you had the plain reading, you had the middle of the road reading, and then you had the allegorical reading. And so like if you, you know, most people could understand the regular stuff, but this hidden knowledge was in this allegorical reading of the text. And so even with Christianity, you had that. Yep. Even Paul at one point mentions uh, you have to feed new converts with milk hmm. before they're ready for the meat. Yep. You know, so you have to, they, they weren't necessarily ready for the deep spiritual truths from day one. So the idea isn't crazy. Yeah. And there's some truth also, to this idea of mystery cults within Christianity, though. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they are definitely... Um, they well, they grew up in a time of Hellenization, meaning the Greek culture was dominating in Judaism, um, mainly because of the Romans, and mystery cults had a strong Greek influence. Mm -hmm. um, they they were influenced by a lot of Platonic ideals, for instance, that what happens in heavens in the firmament um, also happens on Earth. Like like Earth is a reflection an imperfect reflection of the higher heavens. Yeah. And for more on that, you could look at Plato's forms. It's really crazy ideas, but like the idea of like everything on in the heavens has a copy here on earth and one affects the other kind of thing. So it, that's where yeah. these it, ideas come from. You've got a tree in your yard. It, there's a heavenly version of that tree. That's a better, more ideal tree. And then there's another way of heaven with another copy yeah. of that tree, but it's even more tree-ish, yeah. Yeah. you know, and until you get all the way to the top heaven, which is the most tree tree. Yeah. There is. <laughs> um, the, the ancient people thought some weird stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so his idea is that Jesus um, was known to the early Christians only through revelation. Um, and he, they believed that he descended from the top heaven to one of the middle heavens, was killed by Satan and his minions there, rose from the dead in heaven, and then ascended. Yeah. And that's the, that's the kernel of the myth. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And from there, they told stories to their initiates who... Um, over time, the stories that placed Jesus in history 
began to overtake the original myth until eventually you've got the idea that Jesus was a real person living in the 30s to actually kill yeah. by Pontius Pilate. And, and the myth actually goes all the way back to the second century BCE. So several hundred years before the supposed historical Jesus in this model. That's particularly uh, – Carrier alludes to that, but Robert Price really goes in on mm-hmm. that. He's big on that. Um, so there's your 10-minute summary of Jesus' mythicism. Um, Carrier is probably widely known for his use of Bayes' theorem in his models. Yeah. He, he wrote a whole book on how to use the theorem before he wrote the book on using the theorem. <laughs> Which, don't just ignore proving history. He's not a mathematician. You don't need to know any of it. Yeah. it and also ignore his math and historicity of Jesus because he does it in the most convoluted way possible. Yeah. And we're, we're talking uh, about – so the first book is on proving history uh, and then the second book is called um, – historicity of jesus i forget the whole yeah. name but uh, why we have reason yeah. to doubt which i like that title but you know yeah that i mean it sounds pretty uh yeah. pretty clever <laughs> <laughs> uh so um I, th- I think part of what's so seductive about carrier's book and we'll get into our own experiences with it later is the use of base theorem and the kind of scientific veneer that grants mm. and how it talks about um, how you quantify bias and how you can use this theorem to help avoid bias. So Bayes' theorem is a statistical model that you can use uh, that allows you to update your understanding or your opinions based on new information. So basically, you start with your prior, with how likely something is to happen in general. So... Uh, say you were trying to figure out, okay, you see, you notice that the sidewalk is wet and you want to determine whether it rained. Um, you could start with your prior of how likely it is to rain on any particular day. And then you'd say, okay, given that the sidewalk is wet or given that it rained, how likely is it that the sidewalk would be rain? And given that it didn't rain, how likely is it that the sidewalk would be wet? And any other observations you had. Yeah. You know. And the, and the good thing about Bayes' theorem is like once – the more information you get or the more uh, accurate your information gets, you can adjust your inputs to get a more definitive right. – you know. So maybe you do Bayes' theorem the first time and you decide it rained based on the evidence. But then you see, oh, wait, there's a sprinkler right there. Okay, well, now I can do it again and update my information again. Yeah. And then maybe you see, oh, there is a sprinkler, but it's broken. Okay, now you can update your information again. Yeah. You can just keep applying it until you get the right answer. Yeah. Um, so that's the good thing about Bayes' theorem. Uh, the bad thing is there's nothing magic about it. All you're doing is it's a way to quantify your subjective judgments. So if you put in garbage, you're going to get garbage out. Um, and what's and what you alluded to earlier, the reason this is seductive is because Carrier's using it specifically saying that he's using it to um, avoid bias and to try to get a very accurate representation of what probably happened. He labors often saying, well, I think that the odds are 
say one in five, but I'm going to be very generous and say it's 80%, yeah. you know, <laughs> which sounds like, wow, he's being super reasonable, but you know, is he though? You'd have to look at the evidence. Yeah. Um, so that's the caution. And, and other people have used Bayes' theorem to prove that Jesus Christ did exist. Yeah. So, so there's nothing magic about Bayes' theorem. It, what's good about it is anyone who looks at it knows exactly what judgments you're yeah. making. There's no hiding. If you want to see somebody who used Bayes' theorem well, but used it in a way to prove that Jesus did exist, I would recommend you looking up Richard Swinburne. He's probably one of the most famous theologians in the past century. Um and, and just you can Google Richard Swinburne proving Jesus exists based theorem, and you can come up with a whole bunch of stuff. But it's definitely interested if you like going into the weeds that deep. Yeah. So if you like statistics, first of all, I don't know who hurt you. But... <laughs> it was my most least favorite class in college. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's um, in engineering school, we have a whole class, uh, numerical methods, where we it's an entire class dedicated to not doing statistics. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's smashing statistical questions under computation. That's hilarious. Like we could do statistics or we could just run a million trials. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so uh, that's Richard Carrier's model. Um, just to give you an idea of what the models tend to be. And again, different mythicists have different ideas. But every mythicist argument basically rests on four basic pillars. I mean, if it was um, three pillars, it probably wouldn't be strong enough unless it's a triangle and then we're not, but you know. Yeah, that's why they've got yeah. four. So uh, first, I'll just list all four and then we'll talk about them. So the first one is a lack of biographic, biographical information in the epistles. The epistles being the letters that are in the New Testament that aren't, so the books that aren't the Gospels or Revelations. Yeah. So Corinthians, Galatians, those are the epistles. Um, the second is the lack of physical records of Jesus. The third is that the Gospels themselves are not historical records. And the fourth pillar is uh, Paul's letters specifically. They kind of take that uh, um, separate yeah. from the rest of the epistles. And, and really Paul's letters, like they're getting into more specifics of what Paul says uh, versus just right. the letters in general. But. So let's talk about the first one, uh, lack of biographical information. Yeah, so this one is is interesting to me because they're kind of they, you could you could apply this to almost anything. You you could literally say, oh, but they don't mention Big Bird on you know the seventeenth episode of Sesame Street, so therefore Big Bird doesn't exist. Like that's a stupid example, but like you could apply this logic to anything. Like they're saying, like there's no evidence of. Jesus being a historical figure within the epistles. But what that doesn't take into account is the fact that they're not addressing what the epistles were, the, his, the, the context of the epistles. The epistles weren't written to explain to people or prove to people that Jesus existed. Before we get into that, why don't you break down real quick, what were the epistles, who wrote them and why? Oh, sure. Yeah. So real quick, the epistles were letters written from mostly Paul, but you have some of James, um, to churches within the areas specifically to address issues. So what would happen is Paul or James would go out and start a church, and then they would have leaders of the church 
get like there'd be a scuffle in the church and people were saying, oh, I, should I get my penis chopped off or should I eat ham? Like, I don't know what to do here. And they would write a letter to Paul and Paul would say, hey, dipshits, I told you this when I was there. This is what you're supposed to do. So it's basically Paul or who, mostly Paul writing letters back saying, hey, this is your scuffle. This is what you should do. Um, but they were not written to like convince people that Jesus was a real figure or convince people of the gospels. They had already done that when they were there establishing the churches to begin with. Right. Um, and so like you touched on, um, the, the mythicists have a point in that there isn't a lot of biographical information in the epistles. They don't talk about who his mother is. They don't say where he preached. Uh, they don't talk much about, um, the sort of stories you find in the Gospels. Um, so that that is true. However, that doesn't mean that he didn't exist, like you said, that there could be completely plausible reasons why they didn't mention it. Yeah. Uh, if, if For a great uh, exercise, you could pull up um, some um, sermons from a church and just see how often they talk about biographical material. If they're talking about the Gospels, they'll probably talk about it a lot. But... If you uh, looked at, say, like a newsletter, they may not ever talk about right. a biographical thing. Even if they're giving moral advice, they may not mention something that Jesus did. It's not because anyone involved thinks that Jesus didn't exist. Yeah. It's they just didn't mention it. And the other the uh, other thing on this point, too, is that we only have so many letters that survived. Um, you know, we don't know how many letters didn't make it through history to us today. And so it's very well that maybe Paul said, all right, idiots, I explained this to you once before, but Jesus was yeah. a man. He was six foot tall, <laughs> which is really right. tall for somebody. And then, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's true. We don't know what didn't survive the way that these epistles would happen. First of all, the people writing the epistles didn't know they were writing the Bible. Yeah. Uh, they, they were just writing a letter. So they'd write a letter to the Corinthians and someone in the Corinthian church is like, oh, this is a really good letter. I'm going to make a copy for myself. And then someone who visits Corinth is like, wow, that's a letter from Paul. I want a copy. So he makes a copy and he brings it back home. And, and then, he takes it to Ephesus you know, and then they take it to yeah. Galatia. And, then. and so that, that's how yeah. these things spread. And so um, the, the point that the mythicists make is that it seems odd that these people wouldn't be asking Paul about the Jesus, like the, the son of God, when they want to know more about him. But just like you said, these churches, they, they're writing to people who already knew all of the details about Jesus because he had spent time with them talking to them about Jesus. Yeah. He'd already done that. And so um, you wouldn't necessarily expect a lengthy description of who Jesus was. We do get some things. So, you know, Jesus was a Jew. He was crucified. He was born of a woman. Um, some mention of his apostles and things like that. But. A good example of this would be like, if I wrote you a letter saying, hey, hey, Jordan, can you write me a letter back telling me your famous chocolate chip cookie recipe? And so you write back, say, hey, Jared, here's my famous chocolate chip cookie recipe. And you give the ingredients. And then you start going into a preamble about George Washington was the president of the United States of America. Like, has nothing to do with the cookie or, recipe. Like, here's it. Say that, say that it was my grandmother's famous chocolate chip Your grandmother's, chip yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I said, sure, yeah, my grandmother, uh, I received this from her. I received this recipe from her, and here it is. Here's the recipe. Um, and it's always been great from the moment I received it to now. I didn't say anything <laughs> about who my grandmother was or what yeah. color her hair was or where she went. I mean, but I don't think that she was some mythical right. heavenly figure. Yeah. You know? And I'm not going to go, you know what? 
these cookies aren't real and Jordan's grandmother's not real because he didn't mention it in his letter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, is it, 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 that, that's not to say that this means that he did exist. Correct. Simply that this doesn't mean he doesn't exist, if that makes sense. This isn't evidence to prove that he was a myth. Right. Uh, not on its own, sir. Yeah, sure. So the next pillar are the lack of records about Jesus. So here uh, they say that there's no extra biblical evidence, evidence outside of the Bible of all of the things Jesus was said to do. So if he was going around raising people from the dead or feeding thousands of people or having massive spiritual revivals in Galilee, flipping tables in the temple, etc., someone who wasn't a Jew or Christian later would have noticed because the Romans were there. We have other writings from the time and area. And so surely if Jesus was this figure, someone would have written about it. No one ever did, or at least we don't have any writings that indicate that they did. Um, and therefore, it's more likely that he never existed, and that's why we don't have writings. Right. Which, that that one there was one of the most convincing to me, like that argument. It's like, of course, if somebody's walking around doing miracles, somebody's going to write a story about it. It's going to be in the daily progress, you know, like. And, and I've actually used this argument when talking about the Gospels. Yeah. Um, I've talked about how if, you know, if the dead rose, if, if I think it's in Matthew. Mm -hmm. It is in Matthew, yeah. Yeah, where the, the dead get up and walk around the city. And it's like not one Roman thought this was weird and wanted to say, like, nobody nobody thought it was worth writing down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what we don't realize uh, is the men in black were still around back then, so they had the little flashy thing. And so, yeah. you know. So, um yeah, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily off base as far as it goes. However, what the mythicist is arguing against here is not historicity. Historicity is the term for um, Jesus being historical. Yeah. What they're arguing against is a spiritual, supernatural Jesus. They're saying that Jesus – there's no evidence that Jesus did all these supernatural miracles, that he was raising people from the dead, that he had thousands of followers. Therefore – he didn't exist. I agree with them up until he didn't exist. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And and that's there, there's a much more natural other explanation that Jesus didn't in fact raise people from the dead or feed thousands or you know have thousands of followers. He was just another apocalyptic prophet just like all the rest. Yeah. Um, which is something to keep in mind about the time. Jesus isn't unique. His teacher John the Baptist was another prophet walking around with a, with a following. Yeah. Um, very, the, uh, the apocalyptic prophet was a very common archetype in that, that time period. And you have to remember the context too, like Jerusalem, Judea was taken over again by a foreign power. And so like they had enough of it and they're like, well, the Messiah is going to come back. The end times are here. Like things were getting really bad in the area. And so it just makes sense that you would have a lot of these kind of figures to try to spread a message yeah. of hope there's a lot of people saying the end is nigh that's what the apocalypse means uh being an apocalyptic prophet means you're you're prophesying the the apocalypse the end of the world is near so the end is nigh god is about to come back and free all those people and everything will be you know gumdrops and unicorns yeah. you know 
Um, so it, it makes perfect sense in, hist- in the historical context of the time that Jesus, if he existed, would have been one of these apocalyptic prophets. So you don't need to resort to him being a myth and there being, you know, that, that's the only reason we don't have anything. It could just be that Jesus was yet another uh, prophet in the time and no one thought it was remarkable except for his followers. There's an even stronger objection to this and that there is kind of a record about Jesus. It's not much of one, uh, but it comes to us from the Jewish scholar and historian Josephus. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've mentioned Josephus on the podcast before, but Jerry, why don't you briefly summarize? So Jose- Josephus was a Jew, um, but he was also a historian, so to speak, and he uh, he was tasked by the Romans to, you know, write histories and stuff of the Jewish people and the Jewish war and stuff and try to keep a record of it. And so he wrote something called the Antiquities. Well, he wrote a couple of different things, but. Oh, what, what time was he writing? So this was contemporary, um, uh, late first century, around 100. He wrote Antiquities and uh, he mentions uh, our boy Jesus in there. Specifically, the reference is Antiquities 20. In Antiquities 20, Chapter 9, <clears throat> he gives a story about there being a argument uh, between uh, a high priest in Jerusalem and a guy named James. And the governor leaves and the high priest uses this opportunity to have James killed. Um, and in the copies of Antiquities we have today... Uh, it says he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges, the Sanhedrin being the Jewish court and brought them and brought before them uh, the brother of James, the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ. Or sometimes it's the brother of Jesus who was called Christ, whose name was James. It's translation, but he identifies the person as James and identifies that James as the brother of Jesus who was called Christ. So kind of hard to be a not historical figure if you have a brother who was killed. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, Now, what mythicists will say is that, oh, well, that's an interpolation. That's a Christian scribe later added in the who was called Christ. Hey, Jordan. Do you remember earlier when we were talking about ad hoc? I I do. This seems awfully like uh, an ad hoc uh, hypothesis here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it, it's – Christian scribes did change things as they copied them. Mm. So the idea that there could be an interpolation is not ridiculous. Um, however, we have no – there's a great ex, uh, evidence that this wasn't an, an interpolation. This was a scribe. Is if we had one copy of Josephus without it. And then another and with, it. with it. Yeah. there, exactly. That then we could say, oh, well – the Christian scholars, scribes are the ones copying it. They probably added it then. Yeah, and I uh, I looked into this a little further, and um, Paul Mayer, uh, who is a professor at Western Michigan uh, University, so a secular school, uh, he is a professor of ancient history and a Josephan Josephan is that right? Jo- jo- yeah. jo- Josephan expert. He he writes about this specifically. Um, in what in his writings, Josephus and Jesus, 
and talks about how like this is not there's no evidence that this passage has been tampered with throughout the ages like and it fits within the the broader um, context of Josephus's work so what sometimes uh, the, the mythicists will say, well, he says Christ, but he's writing to the Romans and the Romans wouldn't know what a Christ was. So Josephus would have had to, would then would have to go on a tangent to explain what a Christ was. And if I was going to explain what a Christ was, then they'd have to explain the whole broader thing. It's kind of like if you give a mouse a cookie, you know, they yeah. go on all the things yeah. Josephus would have had to say. And since he didn't say all those things, he couldn't have possibly written this. But maybe he, he just didn't feel the need to explain this obscure um, title yeah. to his audience. Yeah, and, and the subject of that section wasn't Jesus, it was James. Right. And so he mentions Jesus. Jesus is a very common name at that time. It was one of the most common names, actually. In fact, Josephus talks about a bunch of other Jesuses. Yeah. None of them are our Jesus. <laughs> um, it's, he's actually, Jesus, who is called Christ, is the least important Jesus yeah. to Josephus. Um <laughs> But at that time, people didn't have last names uh, unless you were part of the aristocracy. So it wasn't Jesus Christ, son of Joseph and Mary Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you'd have to have a last they, – they'd, they'd assign some kind of descriptor. So Mary Magdalene is a Mary from a particular town. Jesus of Mary, Nazareth. Right, Jesus of Nazareth, to distinguish him from all of the other Jesuses, or Mary, the mother of Jesus. Like yeah. you, you'd have to say what Jesus you were talking about. Or so, sometimes they would do things like son of Zebedee. Like they would say, like yeah. you know, the father's yeah. name, or James, James the Just, if he had a particular title. But in any case, he didn't have a last name, and so if he's just all he's trying to do is distinguish which James he's talking about. James, the brother of Jesus, the Jesus who was called Christ. That's yeah. If he, there's no necessary reason why he would be compelled to explain anything else after that. So. And what this is, is a record outside of the Bible attesting to the fact that there was a historical person named Jesus. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So uh, there's another place in the Antiquities where Josephus may mention Jesus. It's called the Testimonium Flavianum. Um, that one's a little bit more problematic. So while he's talk, while Josephus is talking about um, Pontius Pilate and what a terrible duty was, he says, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was he was the Christ. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate condemned him to the cross, uh, goes on, and his tribe of Christians had never disappeared. Yeah. Gushing over Jesus. Um, this one is not considered authentic, at least not in the form we have it. So this would be a good example of something that does appear to be interpolated. Right. A later insertion or um, somebody who went through and expounded on what Josephus originally had in there. Right. And the reason that's not, a, not ad hoc is because it's evidenced by what's in the text and what we know about Josephus. So Josephus was a Jew. He was not Christian. Um, and But he says things about Jesus that only a Christian would say. Yeah. 
And it, when you read the entire passage before and after this, sec, this doesn't really flow. Um, you know, you could, they have like ways to like do textual criticisms to find out like um, his writing style and his language and his, you know, verbiage and all that stuff. And it doesn't match a hundred percent. So, yeah. So what most scholars believe is that Josephus said something about Jesus here just to kind of place the moment of history we're talking about, but most of whatever he may have authentically said has been embellished and expanded upon by later scholars or later scribes who wanted to trump up um, this reference. So maybe he said something about Jesus here. Maybe they made it up whole cloth, but even if you throw the testimonium completely out, you've still got the other reference. Antiquities 29. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, third one, uh, the Gospels are not historical records, which we agree with. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't doesn't that doesn't mean though that Jesus didn't exist? It just means that Jesus didn't do the amazing, fantastical things that are recorded in the Gospels. Yeah, it's it gets back to our earlier point. You know, and we don't need to ex- stick on this point too often or too long, but it's just like you're saying something and meaning something else like yeah so if jesus actually existed there may be kernels of truth to be found in the gospels um but the fantastical nature of the gospels doesn't mean he didn't exist you you, you can look at rastafarian writings about uh Selassie, their savior and he'll perform miracles and he'll do this that and the other and he existed yeah and uh, if you want more information about this, go check out our other episode about yeah. Jesus and the the Gospels. Right. Uh, so we've we've talked about why the Gospels can't be trusted as historical records before. So moving right along to the fourth and final pillar, uh, Paul's references to Jesus. So here they say, kind of on the same line as the epistles, Paul talks about Jesus a lot. He talks about him dying and rising again a lot, but he never says things about what Jesus said other than what he gained from Revelation. Right. So Paul talks a lot about the visions he had and how he's an apostle and the other apostles, but he never talks about the Sermon on the Mount or, you know, any other physical teaching. So all of the things Paul says could describe a mythical Jesus. Therefore it does describe a mythical Jesus. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's really the crux of it is that uh, again, Paul's writing these letters to people he'd already talked to who already knew all the stories about Jesus. So, and, and it's clear from his writings that for Paul, what was important was that Jesus died and rose again. Yeah. That's what was important. Right. And he wasn't there when Jesus was teaching in Galilee. So why would he talk yeah. about it all the time? And, you know, too, like if these churches, communities had the gospels already, it's not like he's going to rehash stories that they already had, you know. Um, but I'd like to bring up, I don't know if you're ready for this, but probably one of the most damning pieces of evidence against mythicism is within Paul's writings. Right. So Paul doesn't refer to biographical 
information about Jesus, except when he definitely totally does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the passage that we're going to reference here is um, Galatians 1, verses 18 through 19. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And that's verse 19. And then he says, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Yeah. Sounds pretty guilty. <laughs> so, I swear uh, I'm not lying. <laughs> that's that's, that's my 11-year-old telling uh, me when he's lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Cephas is widely regarded to be Peter because uh, Cephas means rock in Aramaic, I think. Yeah. And Peter means rock in Greek. And, and the rock of the church, yeah. Yeah. On this rock, so, I build my church. Yeah. So pretty much everyone, including mythicists, believe that Peter, who is a disciple and apostle of Jesus, is Cephas. Um, and so here he's saying that uh, he talked to Cephas, but he didn't see any other apostle except James. And he talked. He says James is the Lord's brother. And again, it's hard to have a brother if you didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, mythicists will try to say that he's not actually the Lord's brother. He's just like, you know, a brother. Like, Yeah, yeah. he's like a brother, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and they have a little bit of a point in that um, the Christians were known and to this day still do call each other by familial terms. So, you know, that you're brothers in Christ mm -hmm. or brother so-and-so, you know. So we're, we're all part of like the same spiritual family. Right. And in other places in Paul's writings and in Christian writings in general, they talk about brothers, the brothers. Yeah. 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 And sisters, so, and sisters, but let's not be sexist. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, you're right. Yeah. They were actually very prominent in the first century church until the men folk stamped that out yeah. for the next 2,000 years. <laughs> well, um, and, and also, so Paul doesn't use this term brother of the Lord anywhere else in his writings, except for when he uses it in Corinthians nine, five, first Corinthians nine, five, or as Trump would say, one Corinthians. Um, right. <laughs> Trump and no one else. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry. Who, who has the most awkward way to hold a Bible <laughs> in the history of mankind. So turn, turn with me to one Corinthians nine, five. And uh, Paul uses the term brothers of the Lord. Now, this is different because he doesn't name James here, and so he's not specifically naming James. But most um, Bible scholars think that he's referencing Jesus' half-brothers because it's believed that he had more than one James and yeah. a couple younger ones. And so they're thinking that Paul is referring to them specifically. And in this passage, I'll just read it to you real quick. Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, as do the other apostles, and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas. And so he's breaking them up by apostles, brothers of the Lord, and Cephas. And it seems from what commentators have said is that he would just refer to them, you know, like in one passage, and brothers and sisters of the Lord, if he was referring to everybody. So here Paul's complaining about people apparently whining about Paul taking women along or possibly taking women along. And he's saying, I'd have the right to do it just like these other people do. Yeah. 
but in both passages, it's important because if if we went along with the mythicists and said that brothers of the Lord just means Christians, then it has no value in distinguishing between the people. So in Corinthians, he says the apostles who would be brothers of Christ, right? And Cephas, who would also be a brother of Christ. So yeah. it wouldn't tell you anything. And in Galatians, it was, yeah. In Galatians, he says that he saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Well, if the Lord's brother just means a Christian, that doesn't tell us anything. Yeah. Why, why say if he's an apostle, he's obviously a Christian. You don't need, it's like, it's like, I saw no other Christian except for James, the Christian, yeah. like, it, it doesn't mean anything, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's, could Paul have written in that way, meaning just a generic Christian? Uh, he could, but it, it's you really have to stretch right. your interpretation and for that. To get back to our word of a day, that's what people like Carrier and Price have to do with this passage because it doesn't fit their original hypothesis. And so what they do is they come up with these ad hoc hypotheses to explain away this uh, apparent contradiction. Right. And so when we're comparing models, we want one that fits the evidence as naturally as possible. That's as likely as possible, meaning like it's plausible going into it, if if you can. Mm -hmm. And one that you don't have to twist and bend to get to fit. If you work hard enough at it, you can make any model fit anything. So the, the mythicist has to fit this in. They have to bend and twist. And you never want to do that. You don't want to go to the evidence already with your conclusion in mind. And uh, just for reference on this, I'd quote the great scholar of the 21st century, Richard Carrier. <laughs> when he says, um, if you approach the text with gut reactions of what you think Paul probably meant, you are not thinking in a logically sound way. Those estimates of probability are, in fact, measures of the strength of your bias towards one conclusion over another and not the probability of those biases being correct. And I couldn't agree more. Do you think that he was writing that about himself? Like he was like like looking in a mirror and like. like... Yeah, it's it's obvious what Paul means. There's you really have to twist it. It's obvious what Paul means here. And it's that's a pretty it's a death knell. Like, yeah, it, it's hard to come back from that. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of leads us to our own experience. Yeah. Uh, with Carrier's book. Yeah. I think, um, I don't remember if I read this first and then told you about Carrier or how, how we found out about it. But when I first read this book, I was blown away and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Like I was hook line and sinker. I was hard in on mythicism for like a good bit. Because you have really have to read the book to get the full impact. Cause he spends a lot of time and it's, it's an interesting book talks a lot about the history of the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's definitely worth reading. On. Yeah. It's certainly a, a good read, even if you don't agree with what he says. Yeah. So he, he spends a good time talking about all this context and then he's, it's like a beautiful mind. Like he's just tying things together left and right, right you know? 
Uh, and yeah, like I, you recommended it to me and I read it and I love math. So <laughs> seeing Bayes' theorem in there, my favorite theorem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that was great. And yeah, so like, and at the end of it, I remember us having conversations like, like, look at the probabilities. Like he's being so generous, yeah. you know? And then we started thinking about it. And I remember we were at, um, we were at a drill one weekend and uh, we started having a conversation and I think it was over the, um, the creed, the early creed in Corinthians. Um, and like, that's what really started to get us down. Like, well, we need to look at this a little bit further. Yeah, I think so. Basically what happened is we read this book. It was very convincing. And then I said to myself, um, well, this seems super convincing. Why is no scholar convinced? Let me go find out. Yeah. You know, like no other scholar agrees that Carrier is correct. Let me see what those other scholars know that I don't. Mm-hmm. And just maybe they have a good argument. And they did. And <laughs> turns out they have, yeah, they have some really good arguments. Yeah. But I think this, <laughs> this goes to show you too, like even us super skeptics, like we're fallible and we're susceptible to being, you know, enamored with something and believing it, you know, and I, and I'm actually, I'm glad that I can admit that I was wrong and I'm glad that I can learn from it because it helps me move on and, and know that I'm susceptible to that. So next time I read something, I'll be less likely to, you know, be taken by it. And it, it just shows that if you apply skepticism, proper skepticism in every um, in- instance, you're more likely to find the truth than if you just buy whatever you like. Um, and that's another important point. When you're reading something that is in line with what you would like to be true, mm-hmm. you need to be extra special careful. Yeah. You know, while Carrier mentions early on in his book, and I agree, I don't need Jesus to be a myth in order to be an atheist. You know, him existing doesn't, that's not what my atheism is hinged on, but it makes, boy, wouldn't it be nice. It makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. Wouldn't it be you nice know? if Jesus yeah, was exactly. a myth anyway? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, definitely if I could just pick one to be true, I'd probably go with mythicism, but that, that should be a red flag that you should be careful if you if you just so if you look into it and boy wouldn't you know it that the evidence just happens to be exactly what I'd like it to be what are the odds yeah. you know yeah <laughs> and to any atheists or skeptics who might be listening to this it's uh, mythicists are the flat earthers of the atheist community yeah. the the widespread acceptance just completely gullible not skeptical in any way acceptance of this model, it undergirds every theistic and religious trope about atheists. Mm-hmm. And I think too, what it re- what it reveals is that maybe there's a buttload of atheists out there who really don't have good reasons to be atheists. Yeah. Because if, if they haven't done any investigation into mythicism, if they just accepted it because it felt good, then maybe they've done that about theism too. Yeah. Which means that the day that an apologist gives them an argument that feels good, 
they'll change their mind yeah. again. And I, and you've seen that uh, multiple times over where you're like, I used to be an atheist and then I was a Christian, then I was an atheist and then I was a Christian again. Like you see this back and yeah. forth and, you know, I was an atheist, but then my sister got sick and it felt bad. Yeah. So I was an atheist news reporter and I wanted to go out and prove that Jesus wasn't real and. But, so I asked people no difficult questions whatsoever and accepted every word they told And my me. name is Lee Strobel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If I had to sum it up in just one sentence, The Historicity of Jesus by Richard Carrier is the case for Christ for atheists. Yeah. And the case for it's, Christ is Lee Strobel's book, but. Yep. Yeah. It's. Uh, it, it's what. I'll give Carrier this much. His is way better written and more erudite. Yeah. You know, it sounds way smarter and it's got a lot more math in it. And if you ever go to Barnes and Noble and look for the book, it is a tome. It it is huge. Huge. Trust me. I know books. This one's huge. I know books. The best books. I've got all the best books. Um, So... That's our show, guys. Sorry if you were hoping that we would uh, show you that Jesus didn't exist at all and we could all go home, but hmm. sadly, that's probably not the case. Well, even if it isn't, we can still be pretty confident that he didn't do all the stuff that is claimed of him. So, No, Jared, if he existed, he made fish and also cursed trees. Remember... Whenever anyone asks you, like, what would Jesus do? Chasing people with whips, flipping tables, and yelling at trees (laughs) are all options. (laughs) You know what else is an option? Giving this podcast a like. Yeah. If you thought it was good. Sharing Um, it with your friends and your loved ones. Right. Or people you don't like very much if you thought it was bad. Um, If you have a mythicist friend, share this podcast with them. And so they can tell us how stupid we are right if you think we missed something or think we're incorrect uh, tell us on facebook i guarantee you i will read every single comment um if you have any suggestions for topics you'd like us to see or you'd like us to cover in the future let us know um as long as it touches on skepticism in any way whatsoever we'll probably do it somebody's going to come up with one that's really bad like really racy too like (laughs) yeah like women do we need them (laughs) 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 or uh you know i I hear their menstruations track bears (laughs) but if you come if you ask us don't ask us that please don't ask us All right. Yeah. We will cover anything that touches skepticism within reason. <laughs> Speaking of reason, yeah. remember, you always have reason to doubt. Hey, guys. This is your boy, Jared. I'm not Jared. Hey, guys. Hey, this is Jordan. <laughs> this is... This is <laughs> Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. (laughs) Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Uh, All right. (laughs) Strategy. Without me forgetting my name.